0: Lord, we thank you this morning that God, Emmanuel, literally means God with us. Lord, we thank you that you're not far off. You're not distant. You haven't forgotten about us. Lord, we thank you that you are close. You're near. You're God with us. Lord, we thank you for that this morning. Lord, we thank you for the message that you have for us this morning, God. I pray that you would speak boldly, speak mightily through air. Lord, let us leave here not the same this morning. Let us leave here different. Let us leave here closer to you. Let us leave with a deeper desire to follow you, with a deeper desire to love those around us. we give you all the glory. It's in your name. Well, good morning, church family. Good to see you. Good to have you all here today. Uh, I have had several compliments on my sweater today. I know you guys like it, uh, but I hate to tell you that this is also a prize for the winning group, so, Sean, you'll need to wear this next week uh, as I give this to you. I'm sorry, I'll just have to submit for the uh, Tommy. <laughs> Too small? Okay. Uh, anyways, uh, we are continuing our series called Ugly Christmas Sweater. We only got a couple more weeks left. Looking forward to after that, starting the new year with a series through the book of James. Uh, We're going to walk through the entire book of James, and it's just a great book about authentic faith (laughs) and what it looks like—a practical faith. And so, I I look forward to that. Hopefully, you are as well. Uh, But today, as we continue on uh, our series on ugly Christmas sweater, today we're talking about ugly attitudes. I don't know if any of you have ever had an ugly attitude. I'm sure no one in this room. If you just got nudged by a spouse, it means you probably had one on the way here uh, to church. But we're not going to start there, stir that up. The reality is, all of us at some point in our life and day, if we're going to be honest with ourselves are, are, are dealing with ugly attitudes that creep up in our life. If we don't learn how to remedy those things, we don't learn how to fight those things, they, they can eat away at us. I mean, I mean, ugly attitudes are a lot like cancer that can slowly eat away every fiber of our being, our thoughts, our actions, our deeds, everything, if they're not treated quickly. And today, looking at Scripture, as a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 1, we're, we're going to look at an example of Mary's life and stuff and actually see how worship, worship is the remedy for an ugly attitude. How do you work yourself out of an ugly attitude? It's through worship, and you'll see that hopefully through Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Luke chapter 1, verse 20, starting in verse 26 here in just a bit. As we continue, the the nativity story of Jesus. Uh, But to set up this text to make you appreciate it and maybe read it in a light you haven't done before, I I have to ask you to think about this. Have, Have any of you just rhetorically thinking right now, have you ever received a text that you didn't know how to read or interpret, like an uncomfortable text? Has anybody had that before? Uh, maybe you have, or maybe someone sent you a wrong text. I remember one time uh, my last church, my pastor, Brian Haynes, uh, texted me out of the blue one day and said, love you, pumpkin. <laughs> and I, I just, I'm looking at it and I'm like, I... And I text back, thanks, question mark, and, and he, he immediately called me and said, Eric, I'm so sorry, my daughter's name is Elizabeth, and I meant to text it to Elizabeth, and Eric's right next to Elizabeth, and I said, okay, just don't do it again, this is weird, uh, you know, don't know how to respond. Or, or I don't know if you've ever received a text that you just, you can't understand what their tone is, like what they're trying to say, like inflection's lost, like what, what are they trying to get at? I remember one time, me and a person, I, I did something wrong, and I, I texted them an apology, which I'm just going to say is never a right thing to do. Just call them. But I text them, I'm so sorry for what I've done. Would you forgive me? And, and their reply, first of all, the three bubbles on the phone that popped up, which is like the three bubbles of death, you're like, what are they going to say? What are they going to say? Waiting. And if it ever just goes away, nothing will stress you out more. Like, what were they going to say? <laughs> but when they finally texted it, th- th- their reply was simply as, yeah, we'll talk later. And I said, they go, what does that mean? Like, like, yeah, we'll talk later. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk later. Like, like how, what are they saying right here? And I spend the rest of the time, stri- I, do, do me a favor, just to make me not feel alone. Would you, with the people you're around, someone you came with or someone you just met, would you just kind of do that? Share a time whenever you receive a text that you'd say, I, I either misunderstood or misinterpreted. Would you take a second and do that with, for me? So look people around you, talk to someone, and share, if you will, a time that you can remember in that. If you've ever received a text like that, it can be extremely, extremely stressful, uh, especially if you're an overprocessor like me, and you just think through every possible scenario, every, every possible conversation, you've, you've thought 10,000 things like what they might say, what they meant by it, and everything, and you just, you, you can stress yourself out, or some of you, maybe not, maybe you can't relate to that. But, but it's funny how text, there's so much lost in, in text message. Like, what is often missed is inflection or or the tone in which they are speaking. You can't understand how they're trying to present it, which is funny for me to say because my wife routinely says, your text can come across extremely rude. I'm like, really? I didn't realize that, you know? Or how many times I've called different people like, what did you mean by that? Inflections are the expression of the voice. It's kind of like eyebrows on a face, right? They tell you what they're thinking, what they're talking about. Now I remember in high school for basketball one of the hazing they did with our team as freshmen when we went off to our Clovis New Mexico basketball trip they would shave all the freshmen heads as well as their eyebrows and so they would have no eyebrows and so you'd have guys looking at you and you couldn't tell if they were mad, happy, angry, upset whatever because there's no expression because like I can't tell are you smiling like what's going on here inflection changes everything it changes the tone of the text Sometimes even in our own household, we're having to constantly say for all of us to every aspect of our family, my kids, myself, my wife, all of us say to each other, it's it's not what you say, it's how you say it, right? I bring that up because Luke chapter 1 verse 26, I think through 38, we look at the nativity birth of Jesus. There's a lot going on right here in the same tone. We've read it so much, we've become conditioned to read it in a way. But if you'd honestly read the text, it's hard to understand exactly what's going on, what's going through Mary's mind. And so we pick up in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and as you're getting there, hopefully, let me just set up what's going on. So far, it's starting the account of, of Jesus' birth. but Before this, it's not Jesus' birth it starts out with. It starts out with the birth of John the Baptist, through, through uh, uh, people named Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth. And John the Baptist is going to be the person that paves the way, that, that smooths out the path for Jesus to come. He's going to be the one that points people to Jesus. And Elizabeth and, and Zechariah have just received this news that even though you're old and you think there's no way you could have a kid, like, I'm going to bless you with a kid and he's going to be divinely used for God's purposes. This all takes place because it trickles over to the very next saying in Luke chapter 1 verse 26. It says this. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Now, that's a lot of details that I don't want to gloss over. In the six months, it's talking about in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Hey, if you remember the backstory a little bit, Elizabeth has kind of been in hiding for five months, hiding her pregnancy, and now she's been about for a month now. Everyone knows that she's pregnant. Everyone knows what's going on. In the sixth month, an angel shows up, an angel called Gabriel shows up to to the providence of Galilee in a little town called Nazareth. Think of this, it's like Canadian County and I live in the town of Yukon. That's kind of the expression of what this place is. And it shows up to a virgin who's engaged to a man. She's about to be married, and in their culture and time, we've talked about to be engaged is to be married with everything except consummation of the marriage. I mean, literally, to break off the marriage at this point, you'd have to file for a divorce. It would have to it's legal by all standards and means. And she's married to a man who's from the house of David. David is the lineage by which is the king of the Old Testament. It's the lineage which they promised someday a Messiah, a Savior, someone who's going to make everything right is going to come from this lineage of David. And so for hundreds and hundreds of years, they're waiting for this promised one to come and restore order to Israel. Now now they think the whole time it's going to be a king like David, who's going to be a political power to to come and conquer their oppressors. who at this time is the Roman Empire. They're, They're looking for this. And so why would this nobody have any expectation of what comes next? So you keep reading in verse 28. It says, And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. Like, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what, what kind of greeting this could be. And the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. I love, he says, this is the promised one. He's the one we've talked about, and not just that, his kingdom. I love that his scripture will never end. It will forever reign. Mary asks the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I love even more descriptors of exactly what this Messiah is. And consider your relative Elizabeth. He says, even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month of her who uh, who is called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Now, many of us know the rest of the story or are familiar with it, but if you stop right there, just just from what we've read right there, it's honestly hard to articulate how Mary's receiving this news. Like, what's her attitude in the situation? Don't don't make any mistake. This text is about the promise of God, the sovereignty of God, bringing about what he had long foretold in the Messiah to come. That's what this text is about, in nativity, telling the story, the narrative of how Christ came to be. But there's also stuff going on that we have to look at. We have no idea what Mary's thinking. Just like a text message, due to the limitation of the text here, we we don't know what she's thinking. Like honestly, nothing leading up to this point would give you any inclination whether it should be interpreted as good or bad. Like, look at some of the stuff she says in verse 29. She gets the news, and what it says, it says she was confused and greatly disturbed. And then Mary tried to figure out like what what could this mean? Like what's going on? Verse 34, like she even says, like, how can this happen? I mean, think of just a tone of from, from someone you love who says, like, how, how can this happen? Versus maybe how you talk to your kid, how can this happen? You know, and it all changes in a matter of a tone and how it's said. Verse 38, she even comes and says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said come true. Sounds good in every inclination but again, it's hard to read. You could either go, okay, like, whatever you say, I'm the Lord's servant, let this happen. Now, I'm not trying to make light of this, but I'm trying to point some things out. Like, what's going on here? As we try to place ourselves in the story and understand Mary's train of thought. You you see all that's going on. You you see that they come and they give her this news that would seem like it's good news. As a matter of fact, they call her favored in verse 28 and 30. It says, you you are the favored one. The the original Greek word for that carries the connotation of not like you are God's favorite, but, but you're receiving God's grace, undeserved grace and favor right here. Like God is blessing you and you don't deserve it you might not think it's a big deal, but it is a big deal because in Catholic tradition, for example, they believe Mary deserved this. They believe Mary was immaculately conceived herself, that she was divine in her own nature and that she had all these things. There. And that's why a lot of it, they worship her in their own right. But the reality is she is no different than you and me and she is restored and given undeserved grace from God saying, listen, you are blessed because God is blessing you, nothing because of what you've done. It's an important thing to understand. But when you read this, you have to ask it Did Mary see this as a blessing or a gift? Think about it. She's a 12 to 14 year old girl about to start her new life with her new husband, dreams, ambition of what she wants. She's ready to start playing house, raise kids, and all of a sudden, man, out of the blue, you get this news. Would you go, man, sign me up for that? Like, how is she receiving this? Verse 29 gives some indication. It says what? That she was deeply troubled. Or she was confused or greatly disturbed, and she began to wonder, what in the world does this mean? What is this guy getting at? Like, what's going on here? Like, Mary, I'm reading right here, I'm seeing it, is Mary's trying to read into the greeting, trying to interpret what's going on before anything's been said. She's over processing everything that's going on. I can't help but read myself in that situation, look at it, about how sometimes my attitude can be shaped by untamed thoughts. Have you ever had that situation? Your bad attitude can be shaped by thoughts that just get away, that have nothing to do with it. And you begin to interpret, what does this mean? And it begins to go in so many different ways, and you begin to get in a bad state of mind because you've read way more into a situation than was ever there or intended to be in the first place. And Mary, we have no idea what's going on. I don't know if you can identify with this, but let me ask you this. How many of you are stewards or processors? Think in your own right. You don't have to raise your hand. I don't want to call you on church service. Think about that. I don't know. I know for our household, I'm the steward in the family. When Emily and I get in fights, Emily's the type like, I, I just need to go away. And she'll leave for a little bit. After three hours, she's good. She's forgotten all about it. That three hours, I've sat and thought through everything that's happened, everything that will happen. And when she shows up, I'm twice as angry as I was before we even started. And she'll walk in the room like, what's for dinner? I'm like, what's for dinner? No, we're talking about this issue right here. You're not going off. You know the conversations that's going on in my head between me and you? They're not good. Sometimes our thoughts can, can ruin our attitudes as we let them get away from us. It's important to understand, I think 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Proverbs 23.7 says this, as a man thinks, so is he. See, so as you let your mind go, your life tends to fall as well. And notice, this should be good news once she gets it. Verse 31 through 33, she gets the news that this Messiah, what everyone has been dreaming and praying to come to fruition, it is coming truth to you. Your household is going to be a blessing to all. Like, do you not realize what is happening in you, through you, right now, what God is doing through you? But notice what her response is. It's not, yippee! <laughs> it's, it's how? how? How can this be? And it's a logical question. She says, how can this be since I haven't had sexual relations yet? Listen, I've taken anatomy class. I know how things work. Unless someone taught me something wrong, I know what it takes. And that has not taken place yet. So explain to me what's going on. Like when you hear her say how, like what's going through Mary's mind right now? Think about it. Like how? Why me? Like What about what I want? Like I didn't dream about this. This was a part of my plans. Like and you didn't ask me like, well, what's going on here? Like, rather than celebrating the good news, she's trying to figure out all the details. Like, how is this all going to come together? I I don't know about you, but sometimes my attitude can often be shaped from my lack of understanding. When I don't know all the details, when I don't know the next step, when I don't know how it's all going to come together, I can get in a sour mood and I can have trouble sometimes getting on board with the mission and vision of what's going on. I I can't really get behind that because you need to explain to me why. You need to explain to me how. You need to explain to me what this has to do with me. You explain to me how this is going to benefit me. I'm not going to get with that. And we struggle sometimes. I love, he he begins to tell her not to worry about it. God's got this. Like this Holy One of God's going to come. And it says, I love, says, the Holy One will come and be born called Son of God. The 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 Spirit of God will overshadow you. Which is another divine detail letting you know, pointing to the nature of God that in Adam, in Genesis chapter 3, all man was corrupted through sin through Adam. Well, Whether you like it or not, I hate to tell you this, you were born a sinner. Those beautiful babies in the nursery, they are the cutest things alive. I walked by them today, but can I can't tell you, those are sinners. My child when they're born, they are sinners. They were born sinners. They were born separated from God and in need of a Savior. But Jesus Christ came separated from the line of Adam, separated from man, divinely born of God alone to be separated from that so that he could provide salvation in a way that me and you could not attain on our own. It's the truth of the gospel. Jesus was born sinless, and he lived sinless, and he died sinless. But in his death, he took my sin and our, my shame and your sin and your shame so that he could provide salvation to where salvation was not there before. It's the hope we have. It's an important detail. And she gets all this, and he tells him, says, in case you're wondering about that, look at your, look at your cousin, Elizabeth, which they are relatives. He says, you've heard her news, like, just as God did through her, do through you as well. And I love her response in Verse 38. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. The word there is doule. It's a Greek word for slave. Like literally, I'm your slave. I'm a bond slave. I give myself to you. All that can be read in either way is saying, good. Mary comes to a place of submission. The question I ask is, is it joyful? Is it willful? Or is it just reluctance? Like, I have no other choice. I guess I'm your slave. I can do whatever. <laughs> or say, man, I'm your slave. I'll do whatever you want. I don't know about you, but sometimes my attitude can often be shaped by my lack of control. When things are not within my power, without my grasp, and I can't control my outcome, listen, sometimes they can can get the best of me. Submission somehow has become a bad word in our culture. Somehow submit has become a derogatory derogatory term rather than a quality to be admired. It's become a descriptor of weakness rather than a beacon of strength. It's become a position of culturally avoided rather than pursued. Don't mistake, in Genesis chapter 3, it was Adam's and Eve's inability to submit to the will of God that caused the downfall of mankind. Submission will be and always will be, continue to be, a a loophole, a struggle for mankind to give control to God and say, God, I don't understand this, I don't give, but at the end of the day, I give myself to you and trust you with it. It's a struggle for us. And yet reality is God calls us to trust him, to submit to him, to give to him. You might say, I'm reading a lot into it. I don't know. We don't know what's going on. We know the truth of the narrative is about the coming of Christ. But I love it, it tells us more of the story. So keep reading in verse, chapter 1, verse 39 through 45. Mary gets the news. It says, in those days, Mary set out and hurried to the town, the hill country of Judah. I love, she immediately leaves. She immediately gets the news. And the first person she thinks of is the only person that's going to understand remotely what I'm going through is Elizabeth. And she takes off running to her house. It's what the text kind of applies, as she goes to the hill country of Judah. and This was no just subtle trip. This would have been fifty to seventy miles on foot, roughly a three to four day journey on the trip. Imagine what what's going through Mary's mind this whole way. What is she thinking about? Like everything she's dreamed has been and just crash and burn right in front of her. What are what are people going to say? Like, imagine yourself in this situation if you found out that you were getting a surprise baby that you did not plan on, you did nothing to do everything with it and stuff, and here it is. It's one thing just to have a kid how radically changes your life. It's another thing to have a kid that's a surprise baby that you didn't anticipate. But, But add on top of that, it's another thing to have a surprise baby that, listen, that people are going to accuse you and blame and ridicule you for. She didn't sign up for this. What's going through her mind? I tell you that because I love what happens next is when Elizabeth heard Mary greeting, the baby, which is John the Baptist, leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then she complained, explained, exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, for your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill what has spoken to her. I just can't help but read that and just ask myself, like, how encouraging and edifying was this moment to Mary right now? All that's going through her heart, all that's going through her mind, all the doubt, insecurities, all the drama that's going to come with it, and the first thing when she tells someone, like, how is she going to react, she celebrates with her, she praises her. Man, what a beautiful picture right there. Well, like not only to celebrate and, and, and just validate her, but to give her words of wisdom because Elizabeth is six months ahead of her and kind of a very similar journey and can give her, can, can advise her, can help her going through. Well, like I love this. Listen, John the Baptist came with the purpose to pave the way for the Lord Savior, but he's doing it even before he comes out of the womb. He's paving the way for Mary to just have some consolation. It's like, hey, you're gonna be okay. And she goes and stays with her cousin. Later on, we find out for about three months. God, God is working in and through his people. But what I love is comes next. Mary, after she hears all this, after all's been taken in, and we don't know what she's thinking, what's going on, until we see in the last part what happens, Mary begins to worship. Mary begins to spontaneously worship. This is like high school musical, like to the nth degree right now. It just starts breaking out in song, is what she's doing. It says this. And Mary said, My soul praises. The greatness of the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because He was looked, has looked with favor on the humble condition of a servant. Surely from now on, all generations will, will call me blessed because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and His name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear Him. He has done a mighty deed with His arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from the thrones and exalted the lowly. He satisfied the hungry with good things. And sent the wrench away empty. He's helped the servant Israel remember his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to her ancestors. And Mary stayed with her for about three months. Then she returned to her home. But before I come to her worship and address that, I love Mary stays there for about three months, and then she returns to her home. At this point, she's beginning to show and she can't hide it. Which, if you pick up in the book of Matthew, when does it seem like Joseph finds out? When she begins to show. She was discovered to be with baby. It's just interesting details that connect. But what I love most is Mary's response. See, Mary here chooses to worship when it's all said and done. She chooses to come to God and admire and worship who he is, what he's done, and what he will continually do all throughout the future and what he's done through history. Well, like, don't miss this. How easy would it have been to have an attitude of self-pity? Like, what was me? Like, listen, this is not what I thought. To have an attitude of anger, apathy. I just don't even care anymore. Obviously, God's in control, so why even try? An attitude of rebellion, an attitude of bitterness. You might say, Why would she have these attitudes? This is great news for us. Put yourself in her shoes. Because her plans, her dreams have all been shattered. Her reputation is now gone. She's going to face ridicule. We have texts outside scripture that point to this, making fun of Jesus' mother. We know this to be fact. And life in general has been disrupted. In other words, this is not the way I wanted it to go. This is not the way I thought it would go. This is not the way I dreamed it up. But yet, she still comes to worship. She still comes to place God in the right perspective. Can I just say this? Listen, when we misprioritize God and us, it gives birth to ugly attitudes in our life. When we get things out of whack... We place God out of order of our discussion and our understanding. And listen, even in church, we struggle with this our terminology and stuff we use. Think about some terms like this I have. Think about this. I think I have them on the screen. God is here for us versus we are here for God. Those are two drastically different things whenever you get them in a different order. If you believe God is here for me, God should bless my life. God should give me what God should do everything. But if you believe you are here for God, it changes everything you do. Think about our language and the way we talk. Jesus Christ died for my sins, died to save me so I can have a personal relationship so he can take care of me and do things for me. Listen, those are all truths, but Jesus didn't die just for you. Jesus died so you could be with God. Jesus died so you could be used by God. You are being saved for the glory of God. It's not about you. Worship changes the perspective and puts it in the right order. Think of another one right here on the screen. Like God should help me fulfill my purpose Versus, I should help God fulfill His purpose. How often do we pray to God, hey, God, listen, give me, I, help me get this job. I love it. I really hope this works out. I want this to all work out, man. This would be really great when we haven't even given this. God, what do you want me to do? God, help me fulfill my plans, my purpose. Help me to do what all you want me to be. Like instead of saying, God, what do you want me to be? I lay at your feet. I do whatever you want. When we misprioritize, we get worship out of order. And we place ourselves on the pedestal, we place ourselves at the focal point. Listen, what happens is when God doesn't deliver in the way we think he should, our attitude gets out of whack. It's the difference between theocentric and anthropocentric train of thought. You say, what's the difference? Theocentric means this. It means that God is the center of the interest, my interest, ultimate concern, and life. It literally means that life revolves around God. And whatever he says goes, and whatever he wants happens, and whatever I am is what he wants me to be, and I'll do it. Anthropocentric is this. It believes that life revolves around human beings. Like, we're the center of interest. We're the center of ultimate concern. We're the center of life. Life revolves around us. And when my bidding doesn't come about, either I've done something wrong or God doesn't truly love me because it's all about me. And there's nowhere in Scripture that points to that. Worship is placing God back in perspective, saying you are rightly on your throne. That's why I say at the beginning, and I say it again, worship is the remedy for an ugly attitude. When you begin to focus on yourself and all that I could have and all that could go on, how do we snap out of that we worship God and place him back on the pedestal he deserves, place him back on the throne he deserves and say, God, I'm sorry I got this out of whack. Worship, in other words, is like the recalibration of our heart, of our mind. If you've ever had to recalibrate, it more or less creates a new center. When you recalibrate a phone or recalibrate an item, it puts a new center. This is the new center that everything based off of. Listen to what Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2 says along these lines. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I love Mary's first words. What does she say? My soul praises what? Not not my circumstances, what you, all I am, what? The greatness of the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in what? God, my Savior. All throughout the text, you see stuff pointed out about who God is. Like, maybe we don't understand worship. Worship is any time you acknowledge, celebrate, or submit to God, to to who God is. God God is holy whether you like it or not. God is good whether you like it or not. God is worthy whether you like it or not. And whether I feel like singing or worshiping or not, God deserves it because he's God. It's a truth of who he is. Worship is any time I submit to his plan, Worship is any time I worship what he has done through my salvation, through the history, what God has done. Man, i got to give glory. i got to give respect. i got to give honor to what he's done because he deserves it. I can't take credit for this. Imagine Mary walking around like, hey, how awesome am I? I'm favored. Like, "I I told you doing good in class would pay off, guys. Like, she doesn't. Blessed is God, man, what he's done. It's worshiping God for what God will do. It's all the promises. I don't know what God will do, but I believe that he'll come through because he's done the past. It's when you willfully choose to make God the center of the universe. And the reality of it is, like many of us, struggle with this. I struggle with it. How often my attitude, when I really get to the core of what it is, when I get to the cancerous nature of it is, you know what it is? It's just me focusing on myself. It's me not getting what I want. It's me not knowing. It's me not having control. It's me not understanding. It's me, it's me, it's me when I worship, I have to stop and give glory to God and take it, put things back in focus and say, it's not about me. And suddenly my heart, my attitude, everything begins to change because God lets me see more clearly what's going on. Christmas is an easy time to get self-absorbed because my parties, my events, my gifts, my decorations, whatever it is, did not go the way I wanted These people don't respond the way that I would expect them to. They don't act the way I expect them to. Worship is saying, you know what, God, I believe that you're good. I believe you're holy, I believe you're just, even in this, regardless of what happens. So the question is, will you come to Mary like she does at the end? Will you come to the point and choose just to worship God? You know what I love about worship? Worship is the fullest expression of our free will. It's the one thing God can't control, like God can't make you worship him. He could alter your life, he can change a lot of stuff that's going on, but at the end of the day, he gives that free will to choose him, to choose to worship him or not. Now, it's truth to a certain point. Scripture tells us that at some point, Christ will come back and every knee will bow, every knee will confess, whether you like it or not. And sometimes it's not how to worship, who you guys just acknowledge Him, like, yeah, he's God. You'll come to that point. But right now in this life, the one thing that we can freely give to God is our worship. No one can make you do it. It's your choice. And so my plea for you, my challenge to you is what what will you do? Some of you are children of God and you need to worship God just because he is God. And you need to give that to him. Some of you can't truly worship God because you're not saved. You're worshiping something you don't understand. You're singing songs because they sound pretty. You enjoy hearing messages because they make you feel good about yourself. You don't understand. And the only way you can truly worship God, as it says, is to give yourself to God as an offer, as a sacrifice. Say, God, I want to exchange my life for you. The beauty is he's already paid that price on the cross. The question is, will you choose to receive it? And so as I pray, I, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do one of those two things. As a child, Grant's going to come lead with the team here a second, and you're going to have an opportunity to worship. The question is, will you? Will, will you sing with raised hands? Will you sing with the bottom of your heart all that God is? Will you worship him in life and everything? Some of you are going to have an opportunity, as our elders will be up here, around here, available to come and, and, and to give your life to him in salvation. Say, you know what, I need the salvation you're talking about. But the best act of worship you can do is just to respond. And So let me pray for you. Father God, I love you. I've got stern hearts right now. I pray for response, not because I'm looking for accolades for myself or because I'm looking for any props on what the sermon was, but God, because you deserve it. Help us to respond to who you are, what you've done, and what you will do. God, I know church is a breeding ground for bad attitudes, God. I know I bring it daily. God, check my heart, check my motives, check my actions, and help me just to praise you and bring my heart to you and give it to you. God, I pray for all of us that we would, we would step away from our what's frustrating us and just give it to you and look to you and say, God, I, I'm just going to worship you right now. God, let that be our appropriate response. I pray for salvation today. I know know someone in here needs to hear the truth of the gospel, and I pray they would respond. And God, for those of us who are saved, I pray we would continue to respond to the gospel. Because it didn't just save us once. It saves us time and time and time again. God, I love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we sing, as we worship, I encourage you to respond. We have Pete right over here, one of our elders. I'll be available as well. We'd love nothing more than to to walk you through that. So you respond.